Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, as you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fishing Game Podcast. You got your host here, Justin Townsend, and today we got some special guests on to talk about a cool uh, topic. Um, very, very interesting. I've never seen this personally in my life. I've heard stories. I know Heath and I have talked about it a bunch, uh, and I'm very interested to talk about it. So I will leave it as a surprise until we bring it up. Uh, but know that it involves game animals. It involves hunting, and it involves tracking, and it involves dogs. I'll let you put together the pieces to see if you can figure that out. But uh, let me give you some quick updates as far as what's going on in the realm of harvesting nature. So really news for us, uh, preseason planning uh, confirmed with uh, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I'll be heading over to their rendezvous with the full breadth of the harvesting nature crew. We will have a rendezvous up in uh, Missoula, Montana, uh, sorry, we will be at the BHA Rendezvous in Missoula, Montana in May. Uh, they're set up with a booth, so we'll have hats, t-shirts, cookbooks, magazines, all that great stuff. Uh, I'm cooking in BHA's uh, field-to-table uh, dinner, so we'll be doing, I think, 96 plates or something like that. Uh, trying to decide what I'm going to do. I think I'm going to stick with the invasive species theme. I, last year I did some lionfish. This year I may look to do some sort of wild pig, uh, Eurasian collared dove, something like that. Uh, lots of thoughts floating around in my head. So if you have good ideas, send them to me. Uh, happy to chat through those. Um, I think, Colin, I don't know how stoked you are about this event, but I'm pretty stoked. I'm pretty excited about it. 
you can tell. I went last year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can tell by your monotone voice. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm, um, very, I'm very I, excited uh, about it. We went last year with my family, and uh, everyone had an absolute blast. I, you know, I did a bunch of cooking demos, did uh, the cooking competition, and then we just spent all days kind of just roaming around the rendezvous. Uh, it's great because it's a lot of like-minded folks, and uh, it should be a really good time. If you roll back an episode from this, uh, I talked with Trevor Hubbs, who's the BHA's Armed Forces Initiative Coordinator, uh, and he's going to be there, be doing lots of stuff with the Armed Forces Initiative, giving my new role with them. So that should be some cool things going on as well. Be sure to check those guys out if you're going to go up. But tickets are open now for BHA's Rendezvous, so go ahead and hit it uh, if you are interested in attending. It's a great event. But let's see, outside that, we are approaching quickly on our magazine launch date, uh, which I'll go ahead and say it. It's going to be the 20th of March. Uh, we'll make the magazine available then, so that's coming up just a couple weeks. It'll be probably about a week once you listen to this show. Um, but that will go live and be available for purchase, either on demand or uh, – sorry, print on demand or electronic. Primary means electronics. You can click through all the ads. You can click on links, all those other things. And if you really like it, print it, have it sent to your house, all great stuff. And then also, too, we've got our spring wild pig hunting camp coming up down in Texas. So that's going to be the weekend of the 28th of April. That'll be down in Texas. We'll be doing an extended weekend down there where you'll have the ability to, you'll have the opportunity to learn to shoot, uh, hunt, butcher, process, and cook wild pigs. And you'll walk away, excuse me, you will walk away from that with two pigs, hopefully, if luck is ever in your favor. Uh, but no, we'll, a bunch of us will be down there helping out through that instruction, uh, doing a lot of really cool hands-on stuff. You get to stay at the lodge for those nights. You get to hunt during the day. You get to spend time in the classroom, on the gun range, in the butchering shed, in the kitchen, all doing hands-on stuff, all learning. So we really want to make this a big learning event. If you want to learn more about that, click the show notes below or head over to the Harvesting Nature website and click on the Hunting Camps button. Uh, it's there. Uh, Prices up on the camp. There's also a way where you can pay that out via payment plan if you want to do that. And then last but not least, I will hit our Spice Blend. So it's out. Big Game Blend is free and wild. Uh, I've tasted it. I've had people give me feedback already that have bought it. Everybody loves it. Uh, one of my friends just messaged me and said that their kid absolutely adores it, that he's usually a picky eater and he just wants to continue to eat deer meat that uh, the seasoning's been used with. So that says something right there. So I really hope you guys head over to the website, check out our spice blends. Uh, more to come. We're working on the turkey one. Should be out in April. Uh, I hope to have it with me at Rendezvous, but we shall see if not shortly after. But uh, with that, I'll kick it over to Colin. Hey, everybody. This is Colin. Um, I'm also going to be at BHA. Really excited about it. This is going to be my, my first one, um, but I'm going to be driving out there since it's only about a day's drive from Oregon. Uh, like Justin said, we're going to have a booth. We're going to have some merchandise, uh, some some of our magazine copies, uh, some koozies, some shirts, a bunch of different varieties of that, uh, some hats, cookbooks, stickers, pretty much everything that is available on our site. Uh, but they're going to be there for you in person if you want to try them on or whatever. 
Uh, we're also going to have a, a booth set up for recording your own Adventures for Food podcast. So what this is going to be is if folks want to come by the booth and they have an interesting hunting story to tell, even if they don't think it's interesting, somebody else might. We've had stories about uh, first deer taken, uh, first goose hunts, uh, first black bear, or even a black bear like taking away your deer kill. That was a pretty good one. Um, but really, it's like any interesting story or anything that's uh, heartfelt to you. Uh, we encourage you to come by and, and record your own, and then we'll publish it. Uh, I'm also going to be bringing my dog, so this is going to be our first uh, multi-day overnight trip with my dog. So that's <laughs> interesting, too. Nice. He's like a big like miniature polar bear, so that's fun. Um, I'm going to double tap the spice blend. I just made a venison backstrap right before recording. Made and ate the venison backstrap right before we started this recording uh, using the spice blend. <clears throat> and it is by far the best wild game spice blend I've ever had. It beats, it blows salt and pepper out of the water. Um, it is going to be my go-to for every... I mean, salt and pepper is like the, you know, go-to. How can you go wrong with that? But uh, it, it totally kicks it. Um, just now, just um, for clarification's sake, I think it does contain salt and pepper. But Yeah, sure, but it's got a bunch <laughs> of other stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And, yeah, that's the last thing I want to say about the spice blend. Go get some uh, before it runs out. And I drew another Oregon bear tag this year along with Ben, so... Ben and I are going to be coordinating our Southwest Oregon bear hunt again, uh, just like we did last year. But it, it sounds like it'll probably just be the two of us going back to the same area, see what happens. Super stoked. Uh, lots of good things happening. Um, we're also looking at some other camps down the road, maybe a Tinkara fishing rod one and a uh, maybe a turkey camp up in uh, the Central Plains or Northern Plains. We'll see. Working on some things. I'll tell you later. But uh, I want to introduce our guests. So I've got with me uh, Lance and Heath, both who are uh, work together in the game tracking business, uh, which is pretty awesome, but in different parts of the country, right? Correct. All right. So uh, I'll... I'll let uh, Heath, if you could lead off, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, how you got introduced to the outdoors. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from uh, South Alabama. Uh, grew up at a very early age, you know, deer hunting uh, with my dad and uncle. Yes, sir. Uh, joined the Coast Guard at 19 years old and tried to build my career around where I got stationed for the best hunting, if that makes sense. So I was, I was stationed in the South, in Arkansas, um, uh, Alabama, Florida, and then uh, I was lucky enough to get a special assignment out here in uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, so I've been hunting my whole, my whole career, and I just knew this was a great opportunity to come out here to Colorado and, uh, and uh, you know, hunt elk and and hopefully moose one day and and mule deer and whatnot. But uh, uh, as far as getting my getting my start in tracking, that's going to go back to uh, 2017. Uh, me and Lance kind of go way back. Uh, I used to go up to Kentucky during during the rut every year to bow hunt public land. Uh, Lance at the time, being the entrepreneur that he is, he owned a cabin that he rented out to hunters and that's where I first met Lance at uh that would have been back in 2008 and then 
I kept it. I kept in touch with him via Facebook. And then in 2017, we was across the river in Illinois hunting the Shawnee National Forest. That afternoon, I shot a shot a nice nine point. knew I knew I hit him bad. knew I got shot him. Uh, immediately took a picture of the arrow, backed out. This was, I believe, Lance's first year in the tracking business. He was just kind of getting his feet wet. And I called him. He brought his he brought his young pup out, and it was just an absolutely amazing experience what his dog did that at, on his first year. You know, we tracked that deer up up the what we called mountains back then up the ridge found the bed the the dog was still wanting to pull back down to the creek which is probably close to a thousand yards and lance being a new handler he didn't he wasn't sure what to do he decided to uh to let the dog do what it do and he he, he just let him go and sure enough my deer was almost completely underwater and his dog could smell it Almost a thousand oh, wow. yards up the ridge, and you had a patch of brown about a foot by a foot that was sticking out of the water, and it just blew me away. And I've always kept that in the back of my mind. Uh, uh, move forward to to 2020, 2021, when I get out here to Colorado, you know, being from the south, you, you go to Walmart, you buy your hunting tag, you buy your hunting license, and you hunt from October to February, you know, it's just like you get to hunt all this time. When Colorado it don't work it don't work that way, you know. If you bow hunt you get thirty days. <laughs> if you gun hunt, you make yep. it five. Uh so I was like, Man, I really I think now's the time to get into the tracking thing. Uh nobody out here is doing it. No no locals even know it's legal. Uh so that's when I called Lance up. I started picking his brain and that's kind of how the ball got rolling. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Uh, Lance, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Kind of the same thing, where you're from, how you got introduced to the outdoors, and, and uh, yes, sir, I'm a, what you're up to these days. Yeah, I'm from western Kentucky. I, I started hunting, I guess, at a pretty young age. and My grandpa had done it, and my dad, he's a, he's a big quail hunter. He's uh he's more of a bird hunting type guy. Uh, he's probably got probably twenty point pointing dogs. That's kind of kind of his thing. He he stuck to that. And my grandpa did a little bit of everything. I started with him behind a beagle chasing rabbits, and and at night we would coon hunt. And man, it was a blast when I was a kid. I mean that was that was the highlight of a childhood. But once I got a little older, my my dad or grandpa or nobody in my family really deer hunted. I got into that and. That uh, that was a whole new world for me. I, that's that's more what I stuck with, I guess. And and I guess being you know raised around dogs and and then going into deer hunting and and I actually had made a bad shot on a deer and hired a guy to to track a deer. And I guess that motivated me like man, he was the the only one in my area at the time doing it. And I was like, man, I I got to get into that. That's cool, you know and had a background around dogs anyway, so kind of knew a little bit of the basics and bought a bloodhound, and it's been a been a fun ride ever since, I guess. So that's that's one thing I was going to ask you. What what kind of dogs do you guys both use? So I use a Bavarian Mountain Hound, uh, which I believe is a mix between a Hanover Hound and a Plot Hound. And they were bred, they're kind of out of the German, Switzerland, Poland area. 
uh, and they were bred that they bred those two breeds together because they needed a more agile dog in the mountains. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's what I run. Yeah, and I, and I've actually got a Bavarian myself, and, and I'm a big fan of them. Uh, my main dog, uh, Hank, he's a he's a bloodhound, and me not knowing a whole lot about tracking when I when I got into him. Uh, knowing a bloodhound being a, a blood dog, I thought, well, that's going to be the go-to. And he's, I've been very fortunate. He, he's, he's very good at what he does. But, I mean, there's all kinds of breeds that do this. I mean, I know people that run Lavadors, Beagles. I mean, a little bit of everything, really. That's why I was, I was reading an article this evening, and a guy has, uh, he said he has two Australian Shepherds that he, they're his, like, family dogs, but he's talked taught them how to to trail game and that's what he uses if he ever needs it he just brings them out and i was like huh yeah i just looked up bavarian mountain hound it, those are nice looking dogs yeah they got the they got the black cool. face and then they're kind of the, like a uh-huh. red bone color yeah uh for the rest of the body they do, yeah, i was expecting very, very i was expecting more of the bloodhound you know how the bloodhound has like that uh i don't want to say like droopy face but yeah, kind of like it looks like face. Yeah, they don't have that. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Just they yeah. don't have it. <laughs> right. that, that's my wife, man. She she found him when I told her I wanted the bloodhound. She was right on that, and she actually found my dog local. And and we live out in the country, and, and she's like, oh, that, that's what she imagined. This old bloodhound laying on the porch. She didn't care if it made a track dog or not. She just wanted an old dog to lay around. <laughs> <laughs> He's a he may be that someday, but he's hundred percent not like that now. Nice. He's, he's fully energetic. That's awesome. So, um, so you mentioned earlier, Heath, like not not a lot of folks here in Colorado know that it's legal to use dogs to track game. Where, I guess, where in the U.S. do you know of that it is legal, and where in the U.S. do you know that it's so not legal? As of today, there's only two states that still do not allow it. And I believe that to be Nevada and uh, Arizona. Now, and so I, I think we should probably clarify, and like that's tracking down game, game. game, not live game. game. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. And that's what that's what we're talking about. Just for people, I'm, I may not clarify that from the beginning, but just so people yeah. understand, like we're not talking about uh, running dogs on live game. We're talking about you've shot, you shot the animal and you don't know where it's at and you need to find right, it. Right. Yeah. Uh, Nevada and Arizona still don't allow it. And of course, each state has their own set of laws and hoops you got to jump through as a handler to, to, to be able to do it legally. Uh, Colorado being one of the hardest, uh, from, from what I've seen, uh, yeah, really? it's, there's a lot of hoops we have to jump through. We have to, well, obviously, as a handler, when you receive that call, there's a series of questions that, that I'm going to be asking, right? Because for me, uh, I want to know, I want to know, first of all, I, I want a picture, at least the CID number, the hunter's name, uh, the tag, the unit he's supposed to be in to make sure he's actually in the right spot and not breaking any laws before I go out. Uh Ah, yeah, that's yeah, and then also I want to make sure that I need to know what I'm getting into. Like, okay, were were you using a uh, expendable broadhead on a on a bull elk on a quarter and two shot? Uh, 
uh, what elevation did you shoot it at? What elevation can I park my truck at? You know, all that, all that's going to play into if I'm, if I'm going to be able to take the call or not. Um, because, you know, if I just got off a track, it was a five mile long track. I get back to the house, I get under the call and <clears throat> it's a 3000 foot elevation gain to get up to, to where that animal was shot at. It may have to wait till the next day, you know? So there, there's a series yeah. of questions we ask now. Now for Lance, uh, he does the same thing, but in Kentucky it's pretty flat and he's, he's screening his calls, but he's just going to give them a percentage based off of his experience as a handler on the odds of finding that animal. And he'll go no matter what if the hunter wants him to go. Follow up question to what you said about the altitude. Why is, why does the altitude make a difference or why is that a factor in whether you take the call or not? Okay, so uh, it, it's based off of my endurance and the dog endurance. Uh, you know, if we receive a call and they're like, okay, they send the onyx drop, this is the closest place you can park. Here's the onyx drop of where the animal was shot. And then I'm doing the math. I'm looking at them. Okay, well, we got to go five miles. We're gaining, you know, two, 3,000 foot elevation. Uh, we may be working that area depending, you know, if it's an elk, it's elk are a lot harder to track than, than deer because deer, uh, deer have that inner, inner digital gland in their hoof. Elk don't have that. Uh, so, I mean, we could be up there for hours and get back and then get a call the next day. Like I would take that if we had a fresh dog and I was fresh, but the next day, you know, I may be tired. The dog may be tired and, uh, he's, my dog just taking a track like it would if it was fresh. Uh, so that's typically why we're asking those questions. That's that's interesting about the elk and deer. I, I would think that because I mean I can smell elk from like a mile away here. Like I, I have elk walking all over my neighborhood and like my town and everything. I can right. literally if I drive through an area where they were that morning, I can smell them. And that's actually a problem for tracking. Uh, I okay. experienced it. I experienced oh. this year because the dog cannot separate that specific elk based off of that smell. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, when a deer, when a deer is hit, the inner digital gland in between their hoof will put off a pheromone specific okay. to that deer. So not only can they track blood that we can't see, but they're tracking that pheromone every step that deer takes where the elk don't have that. So when my dog... And, and they can pick up that individual ab- deer? Absolutely. And, and wow. the more that deer is hurt, the faster that dog wants to get a hold of it. Uh, the the yeah. drive of that dog, you'll see the tail wag faster. It pulls harder on the lead. Uh, yeah. So deer are, are significantly easier to track in the mountains versus the elk. Because the elk, all you really have to go off of is is the blood and it may not be blood that we can see it's microscopic microscopic blood particles that the dog's picking up on but when you get into an area that's just full of uh fresh elk sign and you, you know when, you, when you're hunting and you go and get into them areas and you can just smell elk you're like man they they were either here yeah. or they're here now uh that just throws the dog for a loop uh because it wants to track huh. that smell but you need it to focus just on the blood. So they, it kind of makes it a little tough when it comes to elk. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. 
So I guess what what's the process for like registration in each state as far as one and and I guess what states do you guys uh, track outside of just Colorado and Kentucky or any other states? So so for me, I'm tracking in Wyoming and Colorado. Uh, Wyoming's real easy. You don't have to have a permit. Uh, the only thing is you have to track that animal within 72 hours of the kill shot. After that, you're not supposed to be tracking it anymore. Okay. Uh, for Colorado, you got to buy a yearly permit. Uh, it's 40 bucks. Uh, we just got it changed to where we can get it statewide. Last year, they made us pick units. And I was like, well, I want all the units. Uh, and they're like, well, we can't, we can't do that. Huh. But, well, I mean, I don't know what unit a hunter's going to call me from, you know. So it made it a little difficult last year, but we was able to have a meeting with CPW, uh, get get that changed so we can we can track statewide now. Uh, they got to be on a lead. They can never be taken off a lead. Um, if you come up on the live animal and it's, it's still spry and running, I have to back out. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, it's up to the hunter at that point. Uh, I cannot, I cannot mm-hmm. kill the animal. I cannot shoot the animal. The animal has to be taken with whatever uh, legal means is necessary. So if it's bow season, the hunter has to finish it off with, with a bow. Um, other than that, I think that's that's I think that's an important detail that you shared there. Like, if the animal's still kind of alive and kicking, you got to back out. And I think that's where you get in from. Like, you avoid that sort of running exactly, scenario. Exactly. Yeah. And then and then also too, obviously, before the track's taken, uh, part of that questions. You know, I'm asking uh, the hunter's name, the hunter's CID number, uh, what the animal is, what unit is for. And I had to call that specific mm-hmm. regional uh, wildlife officer, uh, get him on the phone, give him all that information, tell him I'm taking the track. Uh, after that track's over, okay. within five days, I have to call him back and report whether or not we found the animal or not. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of accountability. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And how about for you, Lance? Are you, you pretty much uniquely Kentucky, or do you branch out? We do branch out some. It's mainly the tri-state. Um, we don't have any. You don't have to be permitted or anything to track. There is a leash law um, here. Pretty well, the tri-state's all the same. Um, Tennessee, you do have. I think they. Well, Tennessee, you can't track after dark. That's one law they do have. Um, I don't do much in Tennessee. I have tracked a few deer. Um, we do things a little different. Far as if we jump a deer, we typically if they're still alive, we push them a mile. And and the reason we do that, which we we can legally also, but we push them a mile, and, and if that if that deer can outrun us a mile, you know, which we're running on lead, um, there's a good chance he's going to survive. Now, if okay. he's you know hurt, mortally wounded enough to he can't get away from us, then you know a lot of times they just kind of run out of gas, and we're able to recover that deer. But that that's one thing I like to do is give them that mile push just to kind of basically judge their health. Yeah, wow. That's uh, I didn't think about that either. The fact that yeah, if they're healthy enough to keep going, it's kind of a, uh, it's like, well, what what's the hunter gonna do at that point? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we do that also because in our area, there's a lot of coyotes. So you know, I mean, if he's if he's hurt bad enough, you know, and we don't catch him in a mile, I'm not gonna say they won't, but the odds of the deer's recovery is a lot better. You know, so if we're able to give him a push and and they are kind of on that 
that uh, that I guess end of the road, so we're able to catch them and, and or find them. You know, then everything's good and the, the meat's salvageable and all that good stuff, and and everybody's happy. And if not, a lot of times the the deer shows back up on trail camera or something like that, which happens a lot actually. Yeah, it just kind of lives through it if the. You know, you, you yeah, make it, those shots. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, every hunter, you know, it's always their goal to make a a good ethical shot. But things happen. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of nerves and and all that good stuff that go into play. And and it's funny, man. I I've probably tracked I don't know how many deer that I may attract for one person, and another person called me and showed me a trail cam pic, and I'm like. Hey, I've tracked this deer before. He didn't been shot twice, you know. It's, these, <laughs> these poor deer around here, man, they have a rough life. There's a lot of people after them, but uh, it's uh, it's crazy. It's it's happened several times. And someone we recover and and have a wound that was just a flesh wound or something. And I'm like, man, I tracked this deer three miles for your neighbor over there, or something like that. That's it's happened before. Man, I wish uh, I think back. So it wasn't last year; it was the year before. Uh, I I shot a mule deer in uh, north north north. No, not north central. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> so, uh, up in central Wyoming, and uh, yeah, you know, it's like over that way. So <laughs> yeah, um, I uh, yeah uh, I, I shot a mule deer there and uh, hit it. And wasn't sure, wasn't sure if it was a good shot. And then I, I followed it down to the bottom of this big hill and jumped it up out of some brush. And I could tell it was wounded because I saw when it ran. And then it ran down a gully, up the other side of the gully, and then bedded at the top. And so I was like, all right, well, I went up after it. And I got about halfway up the ridge, and he went over the ridge to the other side. And then, so I followed the tracks there and got down on the other side, and the track stopped. And then I just kind of started weaving back and forth in this gully looking for tracks or blood or anything. And I found like a – yeah, grid search. There we go. We'll put a good term to it, grid search. So I did a grid search, and I found a big old old spot of blood. Well, I followed it, kept – you know, and I took my Onyx and I marked it. Like every time I'd find a pen or draw a spot, they were good spots. Got to a fence and it was a public land. He jumped over to private land. So we're like, oh, well, crap. So went. Uh, my friends picked me up. Uh, we, I was trying to use Onyx to track down a landowner and internet and all that other stuff. And we went back into town to a, uh, to where the warden was. And uh, they were checking. They just so happened to be there. They weren't there earlier that day. And, uh, you know, we pulled over. I showed them the track, showed them where we were. And they're like, all right, one of the other wardens knows the landowner. Called them. They're like, uh, we'll, we'll call you, you know, stop back by in like 15 minutes or whatever because we had to run into town. And uh, they're like, yeah, you can go. But you have to go from the same exact way you came in. You can't, like, go onto the person's land. But all this uh, long story short, once we got over the fence and kept tracking, we tracked – I probably tracked it another mile uh, via, like, blood spots. And then we got to one spot where it was, like, a small little pool of blood, and we were in this bowl. And I don't know how this deer got out of it because the only way to get into this bowl was the way in which we came. 
and there was no other blood, no other tracks anywhere. And I was like, man, if I'd have known, I would have called. I would have (laughs) called. Yeah, he most likely backtracked out of there. That's that's kind of what I thought because there was one spot where we crossed the fence where it looked like there was two separate spots of blood at the fence, and it just didn't make sense. We were like, well, maybe he hit the fence and he walked a little bit, then he came back, then he jumped. But I think I, I agree with you. I think he backtracked down the same because it was kind of down a yeah. dry creek bed. He was kind of up and down it, up and down it, up and down it. And I think he backtracked up that and then jumped the fence. But And he may have maybe that the dirt when he laid down pulled enough or coagulated enough with right. the blood that it right. kind of – I've noticed the, the, the mule deer do not like to, to be in an area that they don't have an exit route. Um yeah, so he probably mm-hmm. got down in there and was like, nope, this ain't going to work. So. Oh, man. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but, yeah, it's been eating at me for a couple of years. I can't tell. I so <laughs> vividly remember. The dog could have told you the rest of the story. That's, that's exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, man, I, I missed out on an opportunity there. And it's just like, you know, I didn't I didn't really put two and two together, Heath, until we were talking about it. Like I said earlier, I, I heard people – mention it, you know, in passing and Florida people run dogs uh on on live deer and stuff like that and I'm just like but I never thought about oh yeah. It actually makes sense. Like Lance you mentioned bloodhounds. Oh yeah, we obviously have bloodhounds for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's funny, you know, like the scenario you're in, I get a lot of calls, man, and you know, obviously when you don't recover the animal that you're tracking, it's never as fun. You're kinda sometimes you're a zero or hero, but I mean, I get a lot of people that get the peace. You know, they know their deer is not over the hill. You know, we mm-hmm. we track it three miles. They know there's a good chance that, hey, this deer's going to live and I get another shot at it. Or j- just the, the peace of mind to know he's not 100 yards from me and I lost the blood trail and he's over there dead. I mean, so, yep. you know, sometimes you don't always find the recovery and everybody's happy, but they're still happy at times just to know that he's not over the hill dead and they just missed him right. or something like that. So it's, that's, yeah. that's, that's another cool thing we kind of do. And I think it would have, I think it definitely would have been good to have some closure on that. Like, yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If, if, if it was my, my bad shot that, uh, you know, I, I don't want to cause any animal, any, any undue suffering, but if they're able to live through that, then, you know, I hope, hope that's the case right. or whatever, but man. So let me ask you, what, what does a typical case look like? So you guys get the phone call from you know joe hunter out there and you, you can each each take a take a stab at this but like what what does it look like from start to finish i'll let lance take it first his his is uh way different than mine yeah i mean deer are a little more predictable and i can't wait to get out with heath out west and check some and track some of these other animals because it's so much different than what i do um you know we we listen to the hunter and granted, you know, there's a lot of motions with these deer. I mean, you know, when we get called, we, we track a lot of deer. I mean, obviously, the, for the recovery to the game and, and food and all that good stuff. And a lot of these deer that, that people come under and hunt, they, they all would have two or three years invested in it. So, I mean, it could be that deer of a lifetime, that trophy buck or whatever it may be. And, and their emotions sometimes lie to them. I, I don't think, like, when they tell me what happened... I think they're honest. I mean, sometimes I'm like, man, this guy's legit. I I believe what he's saying, but he may have watched so many hunting videos or whatever it may be that 
it didn't just happen the way he thought it did. And mm-hmm. so we, we've learned to read evidence. We listen to the hunter and try to gather all the info we can. But as we're tracking, I mean, we're looking at the blood, you know, if the deer's running, I mean, in my mindset, the first thing I do is, you know, for instance, um, how far did the deer travel from the shot or I'm sorry, from the shot, how far did it go before the first drop of blood hit the ground? And it's not always accurate, but it gives me an idea if it's a high or low shot. So if it's a high wound and from the shot that deer ran 50 yards, there's a good chance everything's high. So when I get that little bit of evidence right out of the gate, then I'm looking, hey, he may be going through CRP as I'm tracking, which CRP is a high grass here. And if he's going through those grasses, I'm kind of looking on the higher end at first saying, all right, I need to get a measurement. You know, from the bottom of the deer's belly is typically 24 inches on a mature deer. So if it's up, say, 30 or higher, there's a good chance I got a high shot, and that's consistent with what I've seen from the start. So we start putting all the clues together. It's kind of like forensics, really. People laugh when I say that, but, I mean, that's what we're doing. We're running forensics. Mm-hmm. We're putting what we hear from the hunter together, you know, as we're tracking. And, you know, that helps us how to approach a track far as sometimes, say, the blood bled a little bit at first and then it dried up. So I could have a liver shot. You know, a liver don't produce a whole lot of blood for a long time. So I'm kind of looking at the color, which color don't always tell you everything. But, say, gut blood, there's a little bit of black or, you know, gut material in there. And it's 100% a gut shot. And if you haven't gave that deer 8 to 12 hours or better, there's a good chance he may not be dead yet. So approaching that track if we jump that deer where a lot of times we push them all we're not going to do that we're going to pull off give that deer time to die and come back follow up with the track and we'll find him um so things like that i mean we we listen to the hunter we we take what they say we look at the evidence and we try to do our best to recover the deer now on elk and stuff of that sort man that's so far out of my league that's, that's going to be that's going to be what I, I can't wait to hear some of the stories he's got to say and, and learn how far they go before the first bed and stuff of that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, so for me, uh, as soon as September 2nd starts, my phone will start blowing up. Um, and unfortunately, there's not enough of us out here yet. We're trying to grow the sport, um, the tracking community, if you will. But um, if it's within a reasonable drive, that's that's the first thing I'm wanting to know. How how far is it from where I'm at? Um, and then from there, I'm going to take all the hunter's information that I can give to the game warden, and then I'm going to start running through the series of questions. Uh, you know, what angle was the shot? What broadhead was you using? Uh, how far did you track till you lost blood? And then the most important question is, and what I would like everybody to know is, if you can get a dog, if you can call one of us before you start your grid search, if that deer's dead, you just increase the odds significantly on finding the animal. Because once you start your grid search, and if they tell me, yeah, I've grid searched, you know, me and my buddies, we, we've grid searched for three hours. Well, the odds of my dog finding finding your animal is going to be pretty tough because they're stepping in blood that they don't see. And, and as they walk, they're spreading all that scent around. And when I get my dog on scene, my dog's going to follow up into that last point of blood, and then it's going to go haywire. And then it takes, it takes a lot of work to get it back on 
to get it back on track, if you will. So, uh, what I've mm-hmm. seen. Go ahead. What's your What's your recommended search time after a shot is taken and the hunter can't find I mean, the game? How long do you suggest so that they don't say if they want to acquire your services afterwards? Like, what's the right amount of time for where they don't spread that blood around that they can't see, but they're still able to do their due diligence search? Yeah, a perfect case scenario for for a tracker would be. You know, you shot your deer, your elk, your moose, whatever. Uh, you give it an hour or two, right? I mean, in, in, any hunter that's lost a deer by tracking it too fast knows to at least at least give it an hour. Uh, so you, let, let's say you shoot a, a big elk comes in. It looks like a perfect double lung. It runs off. You don't hear a crash. You don't see it fall. You wait your hour. You, you, you track your blood. You, you're marking everything on Onyx, right? Um, mark your trail on Onyx as you're walking, looking for blood. Once you get to a spot where you ain't found blood and you and you advance another hundred yards and you haven't seen blood, that's when you should you should back out, get the cell phone service, give me a call. If I can take the track, I'll take the track and I'll be there as soon as I can. If I can't take the track, I got some other people in my network that I will link up to try to get out there. And that's the perfect case scenario. Now, most hunters ain't going to do that because they know they made the perfect hit and they just know it's just going to be right over the next hill or, or whatever. So it's kind of tough. That's right, right on the other side of that creek bed. Yeah, it's, it's super <laughs> tough. Yeah, and that's the big thing there. I mean, as soon as that track gets tough, that's when the that's when a tracker needs to be called. A grid search should never be performed until they know they can't get a, a guy with a dog, because it really it really changes the game. It, may, it makes it very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw it this year on an elk. Uh, my pup was only five months old. I, I get the call that the guy was actually from Iowa. He uh, he was hunting in my in my area that I hunt. So when he sent me to drop, I'm like, really. I was like, okay, I'll be, I'm coming. I know that area. He, he took me. I talked to him. He's like, yeah, we grid searched all through here, you know, because the, the bull immediately ran to timber. And, and a lot of times the hunters will call and be like, uh, the bull elk ran straight up the mountain. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if it's going to be dead. It was like every bull elk that I've got a call on has ran straight up the mountain. Uh, so that whole running downhill mm-hmm. through wounded thing, that's not applying for elk. They're running to the thickest, darkest timber <laughs> as high up as they can get. So, uh, and it was full of deadfall. But uh, yeah, and it took probably an hour to work out of where they had grid searched at to finally get past that point to where we could get back on that line for my for my dog to continue up the mountain uh, and eventually recover the elk. Yeah. Man, so I'm, I I want to go ahead and mention this, and and we can keep talking. And I, I've got more questions. I think Colin does too. But the the reason I wanted to have you guys on uh, was one, two, one. I think it's really cool. Two is that you know this being a show where we're very focused on the food aspect, right? And so I've talked about this a lot is as soon as that trigger's pulled, as soon as that arrow's released, 
as soon as, you know, the shot happens and the animals hit, like the clock starts. And if you're out there as, as a meat hunter, your ultimate goal is to get as much meat as you can safely and, you know, quickly back home or back to wherever you're processing it. And I think that, that this is another, having the knowledge of, you know, blood tracking is another tool in the toolbox to kind of like increase your odds of bringing home meat. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've had people call last year that searched for three days and then they want to call us out there just to recover the horns, just to recover the antlers. Uh, Had they called me three days before, uh, they would have went home with an ice chest full of meat, you know? Uh, and then, yeah, like yeah. you said, like, let's say that elk, for instance, I was just talking about, uh, I didn't get on scene till 24 hours after the shot. So it had been a full day. Uh, and what, this what was time of year was September, it? but it was like, well, yeah. the yeah. last day, it was the last day before season ended and they had had snow on the ground that night. Uh, Oh, yeah. Actually, I know because I was out out in that. (laughs) So that helped out. The bull died in dark timber in a very shaded area. Um, The first thing the hunter asked me, do you think the meat's good? I'm like, well, we're not going to know until we cut it up, bud. And he had never cut up an elk before. So I sat there and literally taught him how to break down an elk. Uh, The only thing he lost Mm -hmm. was meat around the the back hams and in, in, in the joint pockets, okay? And the, Man, it, it, you know what? I tell you, it, it's crazy how that that's like, that is the first spot, spot where I lost bad. my meat loss where my elk this past fall too, so. Yeah, that's, that's going to be the first spot to go because it's just so deep down in there. That's It, it, it can't cool off. Uh, so he lost, mm-hmm. he probably lost 20 pounds of meat, Uh between both hind quarters, it wasn't terrible. No. The back straps were still great. The front quarters were still good. We didn't even break in to, to, to get the uh, tenderloins because it was a gut shot. It was, a, oh, yeah, yeah, I was like, I, I wouldn't even mm-hmm. open it up, man. I was like, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's going to be ruined. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's, it's just, timing is important. It's, if, uh, if you kill that animal and, even if you do grid search, you know, uh, I'll probably take the track and tell you that the odds ain't as good as it was, uh, but it's still worth going out there to try to try to recover that meat. Yeah, and I, I wanted to walk away with that, and it's like, you know, I, I think as, as you think about it from a hunter's perspective, it's like temperature is going to play a big range, like you mentioned, uh, the time elevation and just like the shot placement too you mentioned that so taking all those things from the hunter's side of it taking all those things into consideration it's like you your clock may be taken even faster and if you can't get to cell service like we we hunted places last year it's like i had to drive an hour to get any cell reception so it's like all right now i'm yep this guy had to do the same thing he had to drive all the way to walden colorado just to get a text message out so uh, yeah, he was he was a solid hour away. Um, yeah, that that's huge. Of course, you know nowadays if if people could save the number so they're not having to get on the internet, save 
some of our traffic numbers, they could use their uh, their garments, you know, to send out a text, you know, that way too. Oh yeah, that's true. That's a good idea. I didn't think about that. Um, that's what I, that's that's a really good tip. But uh, um, so how long once you guys get out there, how long does it normally take? Do you have like a mile? a mile per minute or hour time for the dog once they start working? For for me, it's going to be uh, how hot, how hot the track is. So let's say, mm-hmm. let's say you shot a bull elk at eight in the morning. Uh, you, uh, you waited an hour. It's nine o'clock now. You could, you, you call me. It takes me three hours to get out there. So I'm out there by lunch uh, that's a hot track. That's a hot track. And if the blood's on the ground, the microscopic blood's on the ground, it could be it could be pretty quick. It could be pretty quick. And a lot of it has to do with with the weather conditions because the weather conditions are, are changing the scenting conditions for that dog. If it's super, if it's super hot and dry, yeah. that scent dissipates so fast. Uh, if it's super windy. It makes it really hard for the dog. It could take forever for that dog to work that line with it. With it. What's, what, what are the ideal weather the conditions? The ideal weather conditions would be uh, damp, uh, even a light rain after the shot. Let's say, let's say you got half an inch of rain right after you shot your bull. Most hunters freak out. They're like, oh, I don't see any blood. Uh, and then they call us and they're like, there's no blood trails. like, Dude, you got half inch of rain. That scent is stuck on the ground right there. I was like, it ain't going nowhere. Uh, so that, those are ideal. Dry, dry, hot, windy is the enemy. Uh, would you Would you agree with that, Lance? Huh. Yes, sir. And I mean, you know, where you go, different places, different conditions, but I mean, it, it's pretty well the same. Moisture is our friend. I mean, that holds the scent. It sticks. It always helps. And a typical track for me in normal scent conditions, let's say November after we had a frost and most of our green stuff has died, which a lot of the green kind of holds in. It, it puts out a aroma that sometimes overrides the scent that the dog's looking for, so that slows him down. Um, let's say after the first frost in normal conditions, my dog, which all dogs track different, we can normally travel on a lethal wound about a mile point three mile an hour. Um, I watch that a lot on my ONX because when I see that, I know he's traveling good. There's good scent for him, and a lot of times that determines the the shot placement of the deer. Um, crazy that sounds. When he's moving that fast, it's usually a mortal wound. The deer puts out more scent versus if it's a mild wound, he's really got to work it. If we're running point nine mile an hour, I start looking at that like, man, it's this don't look good. All the conditions are you know there, and you know the barometer, everything shows me that he should be moving faster that tells me that that shot's probably mild and and a lot of times the first hour in a track i can kind of determine if i'm going to recover the deer or not and oh, it's, wow it's, it's pretty neat that is yeah that's pretty cool and what's what's the longest track you guys have had for me it's been it's been a thousand yards to heavy deadfall uh that was the longest one, okay. and, and that was the elk that we recovered last year. So the 24-hour old track, it had uh, fresh snow that night. 
which melted off. Um, so the scent was the scent was still there, uh, even though they grid searched and whatnot. But uh, what slowed us down the most was my dog having to work, jumping up on trees, getting down in between the trees to get the scent, jumping back up on a on a fallen tree. Uh, if, if Lance has never experienced a good deadfall in Colorado. He'll, he'll, he'll get the experience. I've been in some. I've been in some pretty thick stuff, but compared to what he's got to go through, I'm uh, I'm coming down there this September. It's going to be my first time uh, in that altitude. I, I'm probably going to die. He's probably going to pack me out of there. But uh, <laughs> we, uh, my longest track is five and a half miles. Um, that was in Illinois, flat country, and and one reason it went that far, and we pushed that deer that far, is it was the deer was showing that it was hurt. Within every half mile, he was bedding. Um, it was a one lung deer. He was going to die. It was a matter of time, but we had we had to give him a good push to get him there. And and he took us five and a half miles. And that that was during November, during the rut. Um, when these deer uh, hit the rut, man, they're like uh, Popeye when they when they eat spinach. I mean, it that <laughs> testosterone. I mean, it's a it's a different game, man. When that when that testosterone rises, these deer are so tough, man. It's unbelievable. But um, we kept pushing that deer. He he was showing that he was hurt within every half mile. He was bed, so we just stayed on him until we recovered him. And it was a great big giant eight pointer deer. It's a hundred sixty inch eight pointer, and for here, I mean that's just something unheard of. And and it worked out. We was able to recover the deer. The meat was salvageable, and and the hunter was just. I mean he was stoked. I mean a deer like that is one a lifetime. So it it worked out. It was definitely worth every step. That's awesome. It's always good when the hard work pays off. It is, man. And that's, I push pretty hard. I mean, and he's the same way. That's what I like about him. I, I deal with a lot of other trackers and talk to them, and, and that's what it takes sometimes with these animals. I mean, they're so tough. Is You don't really under you don't really know what kind of shape they're in until you put the effort in. And for mm-hmm. me, you know, every step's worth it. And, and every step you take that you don't recover, you know, you think, you know, with me anymore, I know when I leave, I feel like I've done my job. And, and to put in that kind of time and and recover them, it is it's always rewarding and and seeing the reaction of the hunters. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that, that's cool the thing. best part is uh, because um, a lot of a lot of uh, trackers will will show up and they're just going to say, okay, take take me to the bloodshot uh, or take me to where you first shot the animal at, and then they're tracking. They're not they're not talking with the hunter. The hunter's right behind them. Uh, so the whole time you feel this pressure from the hunter, like, oh, I don't know, are they going to find it, you know? Um, we do pretty good about kind of talking it, talking it through what's going on to the hunter. Okay. My dog is, my dog is, she's, she's on track right now. This is, this is what she's showing us. Okay. She's lost. She's lost scent. She's about to swing to the right. She's going to check this way. She's going to come back to her check and check this way. And explaining all that out to the hunter throughout the tracking process, uh, and then when we when you finally get to the recovery, and it's just like they're hugging you like you've been best friends forever. It's just pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen yeah. a lot of grown men cry. That's and that's always a cool thing, man. It's it's uh it's definitely you know we we do charge to do that, but that's that's a better payday than anything you can imagine. That's cool, man. It's such a, it's such a neat. I just the more we talk about, it, the more I'm fascinated by it. Well, you guys got to take me out this year when you go. At least one, <laughs> one track. Let me come tag along. 
Yeah, for sure. I'll take it. Awesome. Um, what's what's a good way for people to connect with you? Uh, I don't know, phone number, website, social media, wh- whatever outlet you guys have. Well, we have <laughs> we got on track canine deer recovery services on uh, Instagram. Um, yeah, you don't even need to spell that one out for me. On, yeah. on track, K9 Deer Recovery Services on Instagram. Uh, I believe that's the same name as the website, is it not, Lance? It is, and, and that could be changed. It could be on track, uh, big game recovery. That's probably going to be coming pretty soon now that we took Heath on board and and I had, when we started this thing, I never even thought about elk and all the other creatures would be tracking, but so yeah. there's a good thing that could be changed in, in the near future. Yeah, so out here, once I connected up with Lance, I, I kind of just changed the name a little bit to On Track Big Game Recovery. Uh, and then, you know, I'm, you know, they can call me directly. Uh, I don't mind. It's, it's 719 Um, yeah, call or text anytime. Typically, text is better from the start, uh, just because of where I live at. If I'm in transit outside, you know, uh, away from my house, then the service is kind of spotty. But yeah, yeah, and I'm the same way. I mean, my my number is two seven zero nine five two two four five nine. If anybody that happens to be in the Midwest that needs me, give me a call. I mean, we do travel, and if we can help, we will. Yeah, and you you guys also mentioned too, like you got a pretty solid network of of friends around too that that help out if somebody's sure sure, you know. and that's the thing. If we can't get to you, we try to find someone that can. Nice, that's awesome. Um, Colin, you got any any last questions? No, no last questions. I got a final comment though at the end. Okay, so I I did look it up. You guys Instagram on track deer recovery. That's your like IG Instagram handle. Well, I found so. I found two actually. <laughs> uh oh. There's on there's okay, on track yeah. deer recovery and there's on track K as in like the letter K K nine deer recovery. Is it are both of those yours? That's the one. Yeah. So I think yeah, it's hard to it's hard to delete one on Instagram. I can tell you that it's uh, a lot of strange out of people. If y'all have any connections, we would be glad to know. I, yeah. I could probably help you out, or call it can. You're talking to the uh, yeah, call the Instagram guru. <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah. need one, man. I need a tech guy. Out here in Kentucky, man, we're pretty old school. You know, it's all this new uh, technology. I'm I'm, I'm still backwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I saw that uh, on track canine deer recovery has uh, Lance's name in there, so I think that's yeah, that looks like it. the the one to go to. Sweet. And we'll post we'll post your guys' profile whenever we uh, post about the um, or we'll tag your guys' profile whenever we post about the episode and stuff too, so people will know where to yeah. go. Yeah. Um. So this is kind of uh, as we're wrapping up. Do you guys have any any questions for us or anything? Yeah. Just uh, just w- whenever you can stop by the office and bring me some of that uh, seasoning, man. That that'd be nice. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll swing by for sure. So um, we'll kind of – this is the last sort of portion of the show. We, we give everybody the opportunity for like a last comment or last thought, anything you want to leave the listeners with or us with, all that. We kind of just go around. So if you don't have anything, no big deal. If you do, great. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the, the biggest thing I could say is uh, before you start grid searching, uh, try to get a dog out. If you can't, then obviously that's all you're left with is the grid search. But if you want the overall best odds, uh, try to give us a call before you start your grid search. Absolutely. Nice. I'm with Heath on that. I mean, we can always grid with dogs. I mean, if when the blood when the blood goes thin and, and call us, it makes it a whole lot easier. And and we'll we'll try to do our best to recover that animal. Awesome, Colin. Uh, yeah, my only comment is, um, you know, we've had people on before who have dogs. In fact, one of our field staff writers has a, a pair of setters who are our bird dogs. So we always have people with dogs who are like specialized in you know pointing or setting or uh, flushing birds out. Um, but it's really cool to have you guys on with dogs that are specialized in like tracking down downed or wounded game animals. Uh, I think that's a really unique position to be in uh, and actually a pretty valuable service, especially for big game hunters out in the West or in Kentucky who, uh, you know, might get that prize, prize buck or prize right. bull and uh, don't know what happened yeah. to it. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Awesome. It's a good, it's a really cool conversation. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I, I echo what Colin says, and and um, just that I, I think it's it's something really neat to definitely grow and learn about. Um, I encourage all the listeners out there to kind of do some research and understand. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's another tool in the toolbox when you think about it. And both these gentlemen are providing a service. You know, they're obviously helpful people, or they wouldn't be in this <laughs> in this type of business. So it's it's good, but it, it's there if you need it. And you know. Uh, when you're looking to bring meat home, I think it's it's important to know all everything you have available to you. So that was definitely one of the reasons I asked him to come on and and chat through this today. Um, I excuse me. I hope the go down to the show notes, click the links over to their social media. That way you can give them a follow too and and see what's going on. They got some great pictures of dogs and uh, tracking and all kinds of cool stuff and some nice elk and white-tailed deer on there as well which is neat to look at but uh once you're done there head over to harvest nature social media make sure you're following us as well staying up to date on everything that's going on you know we got spice blends and magazines and hunting camps and rendezvous and all kinds of crazy stuff going on this year so uh we want to connect with you and hear from you your thoughts and and ideas and recipes and adventures and and share in on those so uh as always whatever podcast platform you're listening to please punch that five star button Leave us a review, written review. We're still giving away hats for those. And uh, tell us what we're doing wrong or, you know, tell us we're doing right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.